Our sermon text this morning is John 4, 1 through 26. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Again, our passage is going to be from John chapter 4, so if you haven't, go ahead and open up your Bibles to that wonderful passage, John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and pray. Father, our souls are dry. Our hearts are weary, and our minds we have forsaken you and turned to other idols and to other gods. We know that in your Son there is living water, and we ask that through your word that you would refresh us, that you would revive us, that you would give us life to our souls, that we may see the beauty of your Son and glorify you and worship you, our eternal Father, our true Father. God, that our hearts would abound in worship, and worship you in spirit as in, and in truth. 
God, work through your text at this time that you would be glorified and that we would behold you and your son in a beautiful, glorious way. Amen. Amen. Louis Zamperini was an airman in World War II, and he was actually on a rescue mission, though he wasn't a pilot, he was one of the bombers. He was on a rescue mission flying over the Pacific trying to find some of the plane and other men that have gone down. And the plane that he was flying in shouldn't have actually been flying, but they needed to try to find these other soldiers. So off they go, and then they're all flying around, and then they begin noticing that one engine's burning a lot more gas than the other engine, and then soon that engine fails. Okay, you got two engines, and one of them just failed, and then soon after, the second engine fails. In the middle of the Pacific Ocean, they begin to go down, and then they crash into the water. The plane explodes, and Louis finds himself all wrapped up into the wires in the fuselage, and his ears pops, and he knows from swimming, he's at about 20 feet depth already, and it's starting to get dark and darker and darker around him and he's trying to fight and fight and get unwrapped from these wires and this urge to breathe even though he's trying not to this urge to breathe overcomes him and he starts drinking in salt water and he can now taste the oil and the gas and the salt water and he knows he's drowning but he keeps fighting, keeps fighting, and he finds an opening and gets out of the fuselage and kicks away a little bit, pulls on his life vest, and poof, it inflates, shoots him up to the top, and he vomits out all this salt water and oil and gas that he had been drinking in and breathing. He finds a life graft, and there Louis and Mac, Francis McNamara, one of his friends, and Phil are on this life raft. Soon, all the debris is gone and they just find themselves bobbing and bobbing and bobbing. And they have to fight off. German or, uh, Japanese bombers come by, try to shoot them and kill them as they're flying, so they gotta get out. And then they're in the water trying to not get shot and they have to punch sharks who are trying to attack them. And all of this as they're starving and starving and not having any water, even though they're surrounded by water. And they do this for 33 days. And then his dear friend, Francis McNamara, passes away while they're on this life raft. In his lifeless body, they pick it up maybe right around 50 pounds at that time. And they wrap him and entomb him into the sea. And Francis, Mac, they called him, passed away and he died of thirst, even though he was surrounded by water. Perhaps that's you right now. You are dying of thirst. You have everything, but it's not enough, and you're starving. So what you'll see in these verses here is that even though your life is full, but it's not fulfilled, you'll see why. 
or why your life is busy but it's not satisfied, why you are weary and you cannot find any rest. That's what you'll see in these verses. You'll see where true satisfaction comes from. So what do we want to do? The main, kind of the main idea here is that we should drink from the well of Christ. Drink. Drink from the well of Christ. Drink this living water and be satisfied. How are we going to get there? All right. Verses, we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. And we're going to see the water of the earth. What's coming up from the earth? And then we're going to see in verses 13 through 15, not just the water of the earth, but the water of Christ. So water of the earth, then the water of Christ, and then finally, Lord willing, if we have enough time, we're going to look how this water turns into worship. So drink of Christ and be satisfied. How are we going to get there? Water of the earth, water of Christ, and then finally water into worship. As you're reading this text here, kind of a little recap of where we've been over the last couple of ver- uh, chapters. There's kind of some parallels that are going on here. You have the wedding in Cana, in which Christ is saying, no, the, the, the old is gone and the new is here. The old wine has run dry. The, this new wine is here and it's far better. Same thing with the cleansing of the temple. It kind of mirrors it, doesn't it? The old is gone. The, the temple is being cleansed away. There's a new temple. There's something greater. There's something more pure that is here. And it's Christ. Christ is the true temple. In the same way, we see these parallels between the conversation with Nicodemus and this conversation of this Samaritan woman at the well. Nicodemus, he, he can't see it, can he? And he's saying, well, what am I to do? Am I, am I supposed to be go back into my mother's womb? Is that how I'm going to be born again? And he, he doesn't see the eternal through the, the lens of the physical that's right in front of him. In the same way, the Samaritan woman has, is blinded by this physical that's right in front of her, right? And Christ is the key then that resolves all of this tension that's going on. So she's obviously a Samaritan woman. So we get a little background here of what's going on. It's 722 B.C. This goes back 800 years prior to Christ. 722, the northern tribes are carried off by the Assyrians. And you see this in first, or Second Kings 17. They're carried off, and then the Assyrians bring in other people to fill the land, to cultivate the land, and tax them and get the produce and everything else. So um, God, in his infinite providence and humor, then uh, sends lions and everything else, these wild beasts, to attack the people that are now living in the land. So these pagans go, oh, must be a territorial god. Let's get some of these old territorial priests to come back. So you have some priests and Levites who were once exiled who are not brought back into this area of Samaria. Hence the Samaritans. You kind of have these half-breeds. That kind of is what's happening. A little bit Jewish, a little bit everything else. Like most dogs that are running around now. There's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so when the Jewish people would look at them, there would be these, these half-breeds that you would look down upon. And, and it was actually out of Samaria that, that the, the Greeks would launch their campaigns and the Samaritans were happy and obliged to join in with them. And they would kill some of the Jewish people. And they would punish them. They would bring the Jews into slavery and freely kill them. 
as they were on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So for John to say, um, here that for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, as you see in verse 9, it's, it's quite an understatement. You read some of the old rabbis from that time. Uh, so if you want to know about the relationship between and what's happening, don't read modern commentators. They usually just copy each other. Read the old rabbis. You want to know what Jewish people thought of Samaritans? Read the old rabbis. It was hilarious. One of, them, one of the old rabbis said, their bread, it's almost like a Monty Python type insult here. He said, their bread is like the flesh of a pig. And they will have no part, as if that's not bad enough. Their bread is like the flesh of a pig. And they will have no part in the resurrection. In this life and in the next, they're terrible, they're scum. We will have nothing to do with them whatsoever. And here it is, our Lord, who's wearied, traveling through this land, displaying all of his humanity, is coming and then sitting beside this well. So let's go to the verse here, verse 7 here. And pick the story up from there. A woman had come from Samaria. A woman from Samaria had come to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered him. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where will you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13 also. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. So few words can command such a, a strong image in your mind. Just these, how John communicates so much in this. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria. Not a position of prestige. She's well aware of it. She's this Samaritan woman, and here's this, this Jewish man who's not just a Jewish man, but this Jewish man who has a following. His people and his disciples are going with him, with him. And they go off into the city and buy some food. But his simple request, give me a drink. And she, she can't pull out of her station in life enough to respond, all she sees is, I can't because I'm a woman, and I'm not only that, I'm a Samaritan woman. There's no reason why you, this man who's obviously important, who has people following him around, should be talking to me at all. But here you see this great soul winner, Christ. He makes a request, and she responds saying, I'm not fit, I'm not worthy at all. He doesn't encourage her and say, no, you, you are a value, you woman from Samaria. You're, you're okay. No, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't encourage her weaknesses or her self-doubt. No, he goes to her deep need for living water. That's her true problem. That's her struggle. 
It's not that she's a woman of low class from Samaria. You know, it's that she's a sinner in need of living water. That's the struggle. For me and for you, that's, that's our problem. That's the great plight of humanity. Not social classes. This is where we're all of one class. We're children of Adam. We're sinful. Descendants of Adam and Eve. So he tells her, if you knew the, the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And again, she, as we talked about, she misses it. It's this eternal truth that's glorious and it's right in front of her, but she can't see it. He says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. As did his sons and his livestock. We miss it. We miss it all the time. So she's saying, are you telling me that my way of life isn't good enough? Is that what you're saying? You're going to travel through our land here and now you're going to insult me and tell me that my way of life isn't good enough? You notice how she's, what she's doing here. How she's using her former way of life. And everything else as a means by which she is then judging Christ and who he is. But rather, Christ should be the one who is the standard. So are you greater than Jacob? And everything else, are you greater? They had the Torah, they loved it. They had the Old Testament too, where they had the Torah. They loved it. Are you greater than all of this? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them? Absolutely. Now you're on to something. <laughs> I created him, Christ says. And I'm the one who gave breath into his lungs as he dug this well. Am I greater than Jacob? Absolutely. Any form of religiosity or belief or anything else of our prior lives must be held in comparison to Christ and brought into subjection to Christ. And if it doesn't line up, it must be pushed aside. And one of the reasons that Christ is greater is that anyone who drinks of, of him, of this living water, will never thirst again. But whoever drinks of this well of the earth will thirst and not be satisfied so just let these words, let them encourage you and let them, let them haunt you. That everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the well that I'm drinking from? The prophet Jeremiah, we had it for our call to worship here. He's given the reason, chapter 2, he's given the reason why these, the Babylonians are going to be coming and carrying them off into exile. And he tells them, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. What are they? They've committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then number two, they have hewn out his, uh, cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So to go back and drink from the wells of the earth is to forsake the Lord. Especially when he has made it abundantly clear that he is the one, the living water from whom you can drink and you should drink. 
But not only do we forsake him and push him aside, as Jeremiah says, but we make up our own little cisterns as though they will satisfy us. We pull up water deep from the earth. We pull up water from our souls and from our sin. And we attempt to replace him with his own creation. And then rather than being brought into subjection to him and causing us to worship him, no, they, they take his place and they supplant him. All of our desires that to be brought in subjection to him, they end up supplanting him as well. And so much of our life that is spent forsaking the Lord, of the living waters and turning back and drinking of the old wells of the earth. So what is this water that we're tempted to drink of, right? What is it? It's the water of your childhood. And years upon years and decades upon decades, we're attempting to fill our souls with this foul water. Addiction and pornography, drinking and adultery, pride and gluttony, self-idolatry and self-righteousness. They they don't satisfy. They, They can't. They don't. It's like taking a little dropper and trying to fill an ocean. Your ocean is a, a chasm so great and your soul is so chasm. It's, it's an ocean so great. And you're trying to fill it with this little dropper from the wells of the earth this, and pleasures of the earth that are drawing you away from God. And as you fill it, you think you're enjoying it, but you turn it around and it's evaporated and you wonder why your life is so empty. They don't satisfy. It's not as though the man who's addicted to pornography looks at one image on his phone and goes, ah, that's enough. No, you're addicted because it can't satisfy. That's why you're addicted to it. The adultery wants more adultery. The glutton wants more food. The man who's greedy wants more money. There's a well of the earth, but its only fruit is thirst. So what, we have two directions here, okay? You drink from the water of this earth, and it leads you to death, and you will not be satisfied. But there's another well that is much deeper, that is of living water, that will satisfy you and will bring you to eternal life. We must let the cry of our hearts be the same as a Samaritan woman. Which she says, where, where, where do I get this living water? And that follows it up with, give me. Give this living water to me. I must have it or I will die. So let's go back to the text here. Let's start at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But... Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give in him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Such a beautiful picture. Woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Everyone... Everyone who drinks of this water of earth will be thirsty again. But whoever, none will be refused. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him 
will never be thirsty. If you come to Christ and turn from your sins and trust in him, you will never be turned away. Never. There's no, no sin too great. There's no drowning in the waters of the earth that you, you've plumbed yourself too deep that Christ can't grab you and pull you up and give you his living water. Whoever turns to him, this is the great hope. This is why we send missionaries around the world. This is why we don't give up to our parents. You may see hardness in their hearts. Do not give up hope sharing the gospel to your parents. Though you think God may not save them, whoever, whoever drinks of this water that Christ will give him will never be thirsty away. This promise is for you, children, to come, any of you who come and drink of this water, of drink of Christ, not of your parents' faith, but of your own faith. You will not be turned away. So here's a big question, right? Before we go any further, you actually have to say, what does this mean? <laughs> Sounds great, uh, but it's a little bit of religiosity happening here. What does it mean to drink this living water? What does it mean to drink of Christ? What does it mean to consume this water? We well, have to understand that it's, it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor. So this is a metaphor being used as a picture to describe something else. So we don't say, what does this mean? But actually we look prior to it and say, what is the thing that it is describing? We have, must be students of the text. It's already been given to us in the last chapter, right? Whoever drinks of this water will what? Will have eternal life. Whoever believes in me, as Christ was saying with Nicodemus, will have eternal life. So then this, this belief is, is the hub of which John is giving multiple pictures of what does it look like to believe? What does it look like for me to have faith in Christ, to trust in Christ, to have belief in Christ? Well, it looks like as though you are drinking living water as we see in our text. It's also in John 15 that you are abiding in Christ. And he is the vine and we are the branches. And all of our life is, is drawn out of him. All of our sustenance is everything. Is that we have life because we are attached to Christ. That's another picture of what it looks like to believe. Also in John 6, in a couple chapters here, we see that belief looks like that we are eating the bread of life. John 8, that we are walking in light. And then also, obviously, John 10, that we are walking in faith behind the good shepherd. And following him. So what does it look like? What does it mean to drink this living water? Well, to believe. To have faith. This glorious thing that John is repeating again and again. Over and over and over. And he repeats it again. And we're going to be in John for a couple years, right? And John is just hammering it again and again. Believe, believe, believe. And I hope this thing that is enough to carry you through all of glory and delighting in Christ, I hope it's not boring now. And if it is, if it doesn't enrapture your heart and your soul now, take pause and let that be your warning. If you don't delight in it now, 
You won't delight in it throughout all of eternity. If it's boring for you now, don't think that, oh, I can enjoy it when I'm in heaven. No, no. Come. And if you need to, let John just hammer it, hammer it, and hammer it into your head and into your heart and deep into your soul that you must, you must believe. And one of the ways this looks like is by drinking and this living water. It's not a chore. It's a glorious thing that you can put aside this foul well and drink of this living, glorious water. So what happens then? Whoever drinks of this will never be thirsty again. Double negative in the Greek. Will absolutely never thirst again. But what do we do when we see this and we read the text and we go, that sounds great. But I'm still not satisfied. I believe, I really do. I I believe, but I'm not. But I'm not full. What do we do? We have to ask ourselves, well then, where is the deficiency? Is it true that Christ cannot satisfy? Is it true that it's living water is not enough? Or is there a deficiency elsewhere? And I would say the degree to which you are not satisfied, I would turn it around and say that equal measure is how much water you were drawing up out of the wells of the earth. You're not satisfied because you're drinking the salt water of the earth that's foul. It's not Christ as though he is deficient. So you don't get to say, I believe, but I'm not satisfied. Therefore, Christ is not truly everything he says. No, he absolutely is. But we can't continue drinking from the wells of the earth and wonder why we're not satisfied. The deficiency is in us. Christ will satisfy. He'll not only, he will not give you what you want, but he will give you everything to satisfy the godly longings within your heart. Your body may succumb to cancer. Your mind may go with dementia and Alzheimer's. But he will satisfy you. Right now, this very moment, some of our brothers and sisters in the faith, our brothers and sisters, are starving to death. But Christ is still enough in their emaciated bodies that their souls may feast on Christ. He will satisfy them. McLaren, remember, he's our our favorite favorite pastor and preacher who's Scottish, particular Baptist of the 19th century. McLaren says, regarding this verse, if you have Christ in your heart, then life is possible. Peace is possible. Joy is possible. Under all circumstances and in all places. Everything which the soul can desire, it possesses. Sorrows may come and make you sad. But there is, and though there be much darkness around you, there will be light within the darkness. The psalmist writes it this way, David. You have known... You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 
Isaiah writes, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire. Where? In scorched places. And make your bones strong, though you be weak. And you shall be like a watered garden in this scorched land. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Christ most beautifully says it in his Sermon on the Mount himself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Delight yourself in Christ. Believe in Christ. Turn to him and he will satisfy you and give you all that you want. Now we're going to see how this water turns into worship. And what are the fruits of drinking this living water is worship. Third time, let's just read verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So you see, worship here is the budding flower. Worship is the budding flower of those who are drinking of this living water of Christ. Some of the evidence that you are in fact drinking of this living water is your heart for worship. And that you will worship him in spirit and in truth. The Samaritan woman is, is solely, is thinking solely in terms of, of location. Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. Which one? Where is it going to be? And Jesus doesn't argue with her. He goes far beyond her and says, no, no, no. We will worship as children. Of the true and heavenly father. So location won't matter in this true worship. But what matters is that it's done in spirit and in truth. That it's a spiritual act governed by truth. That it is both inward and genuine. That is what it looks like to drink of this living water. So in closing, what do we, what do, we do this? Okay, if this is true, what do we, what do, we do? Number one, do everything you can to not drink of this water of the earth. Act like your life depends upon it, because it does. Yes, the waters flow, but they will not satisfy. They might be a brook, they might be an ocean flowing and waving, and they might look beautiful. But do not drink of them. They will not satisfy. Have this verse in your head when you are tempted. Repeat it again this week. Repeat it again and again when you are tempted to sin. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Memorize that. Put it right on your forehead. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Someone at work is giving you a little bit too much attention. You find yourself delighting in it. You go, no, 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 no. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. This will not satisfy me at all. Or you're tempted to anger because you want to be in control of the situation. You go, no, no, no. I'm not the sovereign one goddess. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Or you're bitter towards your family or those who you work with. You go, no, no, no. That's not the path for me. 
Everyone who drinks of this water will, will be thirsty again. Bitterness will not satisfy me. Lust will not satisfy me. None of that will. So rock by rock. Go to that well, but don't drink of it. Carry rocks over. Fill up that well rock by rock by rock. So that in a moment of weakness, even though you're tempted, you can't drink of it. Because it's filled up with rocks. And your moments of sobriety and diligence fill up that, rock, fill up that well. So that's number one. Don't drink of those waters. Number two, steer all of your affections, all of your desires towards Christ. This is where we're tempted towards legalism. Okay, drink of the living waters. Okay, boom, I got to do more. What does that look like? Well, okay, I should pray more. I should read my Bible more. I should do all of these things. Scripture memorization. But they're, they're not an end. They're just a means to the end by which you're able to commune with Christ. That you're acting on the fact that you do believe. That you do drink of these living waters. An old Puritan writes, There is satisfaction for the deepest longings of your heart and your head and your conscience, conscience in the fountain which springs from the wounds of Christ. Number one, don't drink of the waters of the earth. Number two, Steer all of your affections towards Christ. And number three, let's go to the last verses here. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Basically saying, yeah, that sounds fine, uh, but when I see the Messiah, I'll figure it out. That's okay. We say the same thing, right? I'm young. Just let me indulge in the world for a little bit, and then I'll come back around. In due time, I'll figure it out. Just back off a little bit, we might say. But it'll be too late. What is Christ's response? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Don't wait. Don't wait to believe. Don't wait to drink of these living waters because you too will be face to face with Christ before you know it. So if you're not believing, if you're not drinking of the waters of Christ, if you're not abiding in Christ, it will be too late. And faith is a silver cup. Dip it in into the flowing streams and drink let today, let today be the very moment, this very moment, when you take your first sips and that you are drinking of the living water of Christ. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son and how we are able to partake in him, God. And we know that there is living water in him. In the fountain of this is the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his feet, and his pierced side. God, as we turn to communion, let us, let us act out in faith this belief that we have, this faith that we have. God, let us, let us not turn back, though we be tempted this week, let us not turn back to the wells of our youth, and let us not turn back to the wells of this earth and continually drink of this, this foul water that will not satisfy us, but just leave us longing for more and more filth. God, give us a, 
Give us his living water. And to the degree to which we are not satisfied, God, let us be filled with your Son all the much more that we might worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen.